Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And he said, I'm going to need you to speak the three Olympic languages. I'm going to need you to travel with me whenever and I'm going to need you to start tomorrow. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? This week, I am sneezy. Oh, I feel no. like every week I am a different dwarf. <laughs> Allergy season in New England. Exactly. Today, we have an exciting show to for you. We are joined by an interpreter and translator and I, I got to tell you, I like talking to people who are like the games makers, the people that you don't see on TV or hear about, but they help make the make the whole machine work. And this is Absolutely. one of those days. But first, we have a couple of follow-ups from last week. We had a great email from listener Patrick, who remember when we were talking about weightlifting and all of the doping scandals that the IWF has had in its various competitions? Well, Patrick yes. had gone to see the weightlifting competitions in London 2012 and he was like wait did I see the women's 75k weightlifting competition and then he realized he did and he watched the gold medal event and that whole podium basically got wiped out and now he felt cheated as he should yeah right because you go I mean, and you see amazing things and it just it what did you see Nothing. You saw chemicals at work. And that's not fun. So, And you experienced that metal ceremony and the excitement. And then to find out that they were just cheats yeah, is right? upsetting to everybody involved. Never mind the clean athletes, which is it's obvious that it's disappointing and upsetting to them. But to, to the people who pay good money and travel and go to these events to witness something special. Yeah. And don't. And yeah. lose out. So... Thank you, Patrick, for sending in that story. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that because it is yeah, that's just frustrating. Not and, cool. Yeah, it, not cool is right. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at olimfever at gmail.com. And we love hearing from you. Other follow-ups from last week. I had an interesting conversation on Twitter about 
the bobsled medal upgrades for everyone when we were talking about the the Sochi one. Well, Team GB got upgraded to bronze, and I had a little conversation with one of the athletes from those sleds, and I said, well, Team GB has had a lot of issues with funding, especially the bobsled people lately. And I said, well... We talked about that over the summer because there was a a slider from Great Britain who was doing GoFundMe to keep going. Right. And then I said, well, did that not getting a medal at the time that you actually won it, did that contribute to your lack of funding? And he said, yeah, it did. Lack of funding, not just for me, but for the next generation of athletes. So it was really interesting to get that insight. And you just see that trickle down effect and how people work so hard to achieve something and they rightfully achieve it, but they don't earn that achievement for years. Well, in the meantime, you're just messing with another generation of athletes that's coming up too. Right. Because we've talked a lot about the direct financial where you don't get on the cereal boxes, you don't get the commercials, you know, of the athletes who were cheated. But then this brings up well, the sport isn't gaining the same popularity, so it's not gaining the same funds. Right. And then, you know, so even the indirect funding is adversely affected. So yeah. every time we bring up doping, I just get madder and madder. But maybe it'll make you feel better to know that we weren't as ignorant as we thought last week, as I did found Which a is a surprise. <laughs> Yay us. We were talking about Beijing and how the Chinese government is really working to make winter sports more popular. And we wondered what, you know, they they have a lot of mountainous regions in China and there's obviously areas with snow. What What is the, the population's attitude towards winter sports in general? And we wondered what kind of factor poverty played in that. But I found an article this week that says local authorities in China say that Chengli, the district which will host most of the skiing events during Beijing 2022, has made a lot of progress on poverty levels. So they had a poverty rate of 16.81% at the end of 2015, and they claim that that went down to 0.44% at the end of last year, which is interesting. This is an article from Inside the Games. Okay, because I was going to say, we we already know that Chinese statistics... Right, and that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> So they're need quoting, be, yes, <laughs> take them with a little grain of salt. taken with, yes, just, just a small grain of salt right. size of the Pacific Ocean. But the fact that they're even discussing that poverty is a barrier to entry for winter sports. Right. Means, means that, that it is something that yes. they're looking at and addressing. So that's nice. That's good yes. to hear that the Olympics can bring that to a region that was obviously really struggling economically. Right. And they also said they're experiencing an increase in the number of tourists to the area too. Nice. And that's even before the games actually happen or all the venues are complete or any of those kind of things. So that's good. Yeah. So hopefully that's showing an uptick and yay, not ignorant. Well, I, you know, I I consider that the win really of the whole story. (laughs) I'm glad that... Forget about winter sports in China. We're not stupid. Moving on. Moving on to our guest for today. Grace Hahn is an interpreter and translator and has been the executive assistant to IOC member and president of the International Shooting Sports Federation for 20 years. 
which means she's been to all of the summer games since Sydney 2000 and has also been to a lot of the IOC meetings. At both, she serves as the right-hand woman to her boss and is responsible for helping him communicate with other members of the IOC. Take a listen to her fascinating career. Are you... Translator and interpreter, or interpreter. Correct. Or... Okay. I'm in. A, I'm a simultaneous interpreter, and I am a translator because a lot of the documents that come. Oh, okay. My boss is Mexican. Okay. But obviously, although his English is good, you know, documents and that sort of thing have to be really good. Okay. So he would leave out all of that to me. Yeah. So translator and interpreter, executive assistant. And keep my tie in your bag. I'll let you know when I need it. I'm so thirsty. Can you get me a glass of water? That, everything. I've had a few of those bosses. Oh, boy. I, I mean, he's nice, but it gets intense. I can imagine. So when you're talking about simultaneous interpretation, like how do you acquire that skill? How, is, how do you learn how to listen and speak at the same time? Listen, it's, first, it's a lot of practice. But second, my boss is really smart in that he's one of the few people that knows how to work with an interpreter. And I didn't even have to train him. He would just wait for you know, a beat for me to catch up. But people like him who know to do that are very rare. So there came a moment when I had to say, oh, I mean, what's the, what's the point in even trying to write this down? I mean, I think I'd better just memorize this. And uh, that's what I did. But you miss a lot if you wait. Like, how much can you memorize and that mm -hmm. you're not going to miss when you tell the person? So what happens is that I sit behind him to his right, and then I'm whispering in his ear everything that people are saying. And he knows who's speaking, obviously, because he's looking at them. And all I just have to do is put it in first person as if I were that person. So I am very disappointed that Tokyo has not delivered on the plans. And I just talk like the person who's talking and say everything in Spanish. Okay. And then sometimes he'll say something in English or he'll say, you know, I'd like this to be perfectly clear. So I'm going to ask my secretary to say everything in English. And then he's very nice because he'll say a sentence and wait. So that's the, where consecutive interpretation comes in, which is the best. So you're trying to also catch kind of snatches of things that are happening, not just the main speaker, but sort of the things to the left and this person yeah. is catching over here. So you're constantly... Right. Especially when there's a, like an argument or something. And it happens. I mean, the Olympic world, people sometimes get a little crazy and somebody says, well, my federation was told that in Tokyo we would have our venue by June and now they changed it and blah, blah, you know. And then they're fighting with each other. So the only thing you can do is just keep on going and hope that your boss is following the ball and following who, who's fighting whom and who's saying what. Because if you take the time to say, tennis said this, ping pong said that, it just, it's too long and then you start missing things. Things that potentially could be important. Now, something that I'm always curious about is when you're so bilingual and you think obviously in both languages, do you ever go to say something in one language and say it actually in the wrong language? Oh my God. There have been meetings when you're so sleepless, so stressed, 
And this whole meeting, you didn't even have breakfast or your glucose level, levels are pretty, pretty low. And then he said something in Spanish and I repeated in Spanish. And he looks at me and I go, I, sorry, 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 sorry. I meant to say, and then I start in English, but it's one of those things where you go, geez, people must think I'm nuts. But you know, that's what happens when you're on these like junkets. It doesn't happen often, thank goodness because the moment he starts speaking, like my brain starts working in English. So I spit it out in English immediately. How did you get involved with the Olympic movement or even the sports federation in the first place? I got to tell you, this was the most random thing. So I was a language teacher for professionals who wanted to improve their curriculum, their resume, who said, maybe if I had English, I could do better. There was a special course for adults at the institute where I work, and I was in charge of that course. So I would teach them English. And then one day, you know, students would graduate, they would leave, and about four or five years, this student calls me. She goes, Grace, do you remember me? Yeah, yeah, I do remember you. Well, guess what? I'm working at the Angels Hospital really? Well, good for you. That's a really private, it's a private high-end, you know, like a Cleveland Clinic situation, right? And so she goes, listen, so they asked me that the directors of the hospital need a teacher, a language teacher, just to keep, you know, their level high. And I said, you, I immediately thought of you. So we need you to come here on Thursday, bring your resume, and you know, and, and teach a sample class. So I thought, oh, well, that must pay well. I mean, they're, you know, one of the best hospitals. I came in, got the job, three, four years went by. And then one of the directors says, Grace, I want you to meet the Mr. Vasquez, his name is, his last name is, Mr. Vasquez's daughter just got married. They, they just got back from their honeymoon. And she's really looking to practice her French. Just talk. But she wants you to come to, to her house. So I said, okay, well, I mean, if my boss is okay with me coming in half an hour late, no problem. Four or five years go by. And suddenly her husband says to me, Grace, my uh, father-in-law's assistant is a mess. She's a mess. She keeps forgetting things. She's a woman who had been with him for 30 years. But he says she's a mess. She forgets things. She does things. I don't know if she's doing them on purpose, like to be, you know, passive aggressive, but she's embarrassed him a couple times in the IOC by forgetting documents or not having them translated, things like that. So we all in the family, he's got three kids, adults, we all in the family said, why not Grace? She looks exotic. She speaks three languages. She's not married. She can travel at the drop of the hat. And I, you know, I went into a, between a panic and a flattered and a, what do I know about the Olympics? I'm a language teacher. He says, don't sweat it, Grace. If you don't know, make it up. Thinking, oh my God, this is gonna be bad. But then somebody told me, remember how much you make as a teacher? I went, yeah, trust me, I know. So then, like, a week later, 
I'm teaching class and I get like a, a mobile phone call and I go, oh, this could, you know, sorry guys. I mean, when you've got a mother who's, you know, quite elderly, you always answer phone calls. So I answer the phone and he goes, what? And his son-in-law goes, what are you doing? Teaching a class, drop it. Mr. Vasquez wants to meet you at the office. You're only a few blocks away. Now? Yes, drop it, drop it. This is more important, Grace. So I go, guys, you know what? An emergency just occurred. Everybody looks at each other like this woman. I just left. We, in Mexico, there's a very vulgar saying that I left like a maid. Like, you don't even give notice. You just go, bye-bye. You know, everybody here, because we're a third world country and people, some cannot get jobs because of the lack of education. A lot of people have maids. So they say, she left like the maid, disappeared. And so I go to Mr. Vasquez, he receives me and he goes, he didn't even ask me what I know how to do, whether I can fulfill the needs. No, no. He goes, are you married? No. Do you have children? No. Can you travel? Like, a, you know, in 24 hours we have to fly? Yes. I was kind of, but kind of, yeah, between worried and is this really happening? And then can I really travel? And he said, I'm going to need you to speak the three Olympic languages. I'm going to need you to travel with me whenever. And I'm going to need you to start tomorrow. And he said, how do much money do you make now? And I inflated it, quite frankly. I just, you know, because I said, this is going to be embarrassing. So I, you know, I inflated it by maybe 30%. And he starts laughing. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to pay you a real salary. And that's when I said, that's done. I'm in. And the next day, I arrived at the office. And I saw piles of pay yellowing paper on what was to be my desk. But piles, piles, piles. I don't know how, it was strange they didn't have mice. And I said, what the? And the woman who had been fired, who had been with him for 25 years, she goes, well, as you can see, I travel so much that I don't have time for anything. She said that uh, they were firing her because they wanted someone younger. And I went, no, I don't think that's the reason from the looks of your files. But anyway, that was her story. And she refused to stay and let me know how things worked. She was so angry that she left the next day. And Mr. Vasquez said, don't worry. Little by little, you'll be learning. I'll let you know what we need to do. Well, I started for one thing, looking at the files. And it's then that I realized it was the shooting sport, trap, skeet, double trap, air rifle, air pistol, and then the first translations came in from the magazine and it was like, and so of course, by then you have to do your sighting and you have five minutes for sighting. And then, and I was like, what? It took me months and months. And my first thing, my first big, big thing a few months later was Sydney 2000. And just so you can imagine how it went for me, after Sydney, I came, I wrote a very nice letter of resignation. <laughs> and I said, I thank you for your generosity and your patience, but I don't want to let you down. And I feel that 
that I have let you down on this trip and that I will let you down because I have no idea what is expected of me. I didn't know I had to organize Olympic transportation, get their accreditations, and then go through, you know, airport. They have to seal them in and get you in the system. I didn't know any of this. So it's like, and everybody would like make this. So I was thinking, you guys, nobody told me. So of course it was a mess. Sydney was a mess. I was so stressed that when I came back, I had acute gastritis. I said, listen, I don't know. I don't, I'd rather be poor. And my boss read the letter in front of me. And then he goes, okay, let me think about this. Three months go by and I'm thinking, what, what game are we playing here? I need to know if I need to find a job. So I started like working weekends with Oxford University Press with, you know, teaching schools how to use their materials and et cetera. But me, meanwhile, he wouldn't say anything until around month three, he called me in and, and he said, Grace, if I get rid of all logistics and you don't have to do it anymore, hotels, you know, cars, everything like that, can I tear this letter up? And I said, yes. Okay, let's never speak of it again. Next Olympic Games, same thing. He never kept his word. He never kept his word. So what happened is that I just had to learn and learn and learn and learn. And every time you make a mistake, it's a total, you know, you never do that again. So I kept making mistakes and learning and learning. And by year three, he said, you know what, Grace? I'm very happy with our, you know, the way we work together. Good job. And he said, and never expect to hear this ever again. I said, okay, I should have recorded that. But yeah, he was true to his word. I did learn. And people from the from the IOC helped me in Switzerland. Amazingly, people would say, "Don't worry about it, Grace. I'll help you." Listen, what you need to do is this, this, this. And I'm thinking, why are people in the IOC having to teach me these things? Why didn't my boss prepare? Well, but I guess you know he's loosey goosey. He's Mexican, so it's like, chill. Don't be so stressed. You'll get it. So there is probably a whole army of assistants like yourself. Every IOC member, at least 90%, have someone walking behind them, carrying their books, speaking to people, you know, they're, and as they walk, they're planning. Listen, for dinner tonight, I need you to get me one more guest. And this person is like carrying books. Yes, sir. But then you still have to go into the Olympic session. And you pretend you're going to the bathroom and then you go real quickly, talk to somebody in the IOC uh, from guest services and say, well, IOC member from uh, India would like to know if he can have one more ticket for dinner tonight and blah, blah, blah. So people are always running around and assistants are running around all the time. There comes a point where the assistants know each other. So at least you make some friends. And I would suspect always helping each other because you're all in the same boat. You know what? Yes. And if you know something that they don't know, like, hey, have you guys heard? This thing was canceled. Really? Thank goodness you're telling me. You know, you immediately make phone calls and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we do try to help each other in between running around. Did you know anything about shooting before you got this job? Let me tell you something. I didn't know it was a sport. Not an Olympic sport. So when I come in and I see all these Olympic books in his office and he's got 
air rifles and he's got gifts that, you know, that the, the other athletes have given him. I'm thinking, when would they make this a sport? And then I start reading up a little bit. It's been a sport it was ever since Pierre de Coubertin started. It was a sport. And I'm thinking, wow, I never saw it on TV. And so the sport in the last 20 years, at least that I've been, has, has grown enormously because now, yes, they do have it on television because they learned how to cover it so that it's not so boring for people. Yeah. The only person who's having fun is the person who's shooting, really. Have you been shooting? Yes. We were in China before the Olympic Games. You probably know this, but every sport has to have like a test event prior to the Games four or five months before because you have to test the venue. Just make sure that nothing's, you know, you don't want a bad surprise during the Games. So we went to the test event in Beijing and they were showing us the range and the Chinese said, okay, so it, would, you, would you like to try, Mr. Vasquez? My boss, of course, was a rifle shooter. And they said, would you like to try? And I said, sure, why the heck not? My God, ladies, that rifle weighs, I don't know. But when I took it, I had to go like this. And I thought, oh, wow, no wonder a lot. They say that a lot of rifle, air rifle shooters have scoliosis at the end of their career because you have to hold it up and go like this to aim. So you're always, you know, either to the right or to the left, your back. And then I learned, oh man, I admire these guys. And plus I was wearing a skirt, so that didn't help. <laughs> Adversely affects your stance. You know what? It's not gonna look good if I just open my legs and, you know, assume the position and there were cameras there. So, no, I've had to learn like you have no idea. And now it's, I mean, even I surprise myself because people will come to the range and they'll say, and what range is this? I said, they're shooting three positions, standing, kneeling, and prone, and the, the targets are 50 meters away. Oh, you know so much. And I'm thinking, yeah, it only took me 20 years. <laughs> how how often do you travel? Listen. The past three years, we traveled every single month except January and December. But I'm not talking about like we went to the States. No, I'm talking about India, Switzerland, wherever there were either Olympic meetings or shooting competitions. And my boss does because he can afford it and his son is president of their company, so he can just leave. My boss does like to make you know, to be present and be among the athletes at least 90 or 85% of the competitions. Oh, and wow. we have a competition pretty much every month and they're all qualifying towards the Olympic games. So they're serious stuff. It gets a little stressful. I can imagine when the Federation is deciding where to hold their World Cup events, do you ever, right. you know, do you ever hope like, oh, yeah. please be here or here? You just had one in Acapulco, yes. which must yes. have been nice. That's fantastic because my boss has a house there. The officials, referees, everybody stays at, stays at his house. The thing is that, like, they decide between a, two years and a year and a half before 
they decide the calendar for the next two years. So I'm looking at the, you know, at the PowerPoint and I'm thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh my God, two years from now is gonna be tough. But then you forget it. And then uh, my boss in January says, okay, Grace, bring your calendar. And we sit down at his office and he goes, okay, first one, what is that? Munich, that's a classic, we gotta go. Number two, India. Oh, they've been so nice to me. We're going to that one. I think, you know, you're just thinking, why not Paris for once? But, you know, you do cross your fingers for your favorite countries. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, they can't be giving it to the same country every year. So, yeah, they like to vary. The travel is not what's hard because I'm used to traveling ever since I was a little girl. What's hard is the social calendar because my boss is, his family is originally from Spain. So for them, starting dinner at midnight is the most normal thing. And my body is the kind of body that at six o'clock I open my eyes, even if I'm exhausted. So that kind of pace for two weeks, three weeks at a time, it does affect you. Your mood, your brain. You know, you start getting a tiny bit of a depression. Sometimes you wake up in London, I remember, and because I have the scar to, to remind me, the bed was all like modern. So the base of the bed was all just black teak wood. And so I got up, we, were, we had just come from Asia. So the time difference was terrible. I got up and for a minute, I, my heart started beating because I said, where am I? You know, like, we had been going from country to country to country, and I turned on the lights real quick. By then, I had banged my leg, of course, because I was going in the wrong direction for the bathroom. Turned on the lights, and I said, oh, London, because I recognized a picture on the wall. And then the little panic attack went down. But it's really weird when you're doing back-to-back-to-back-to-back countries for very little time. You don't give your body time to get used to the time zone. So you're digestion goes to hell, your sleep patterns go to hell. And then this little panic attack I had because I didn't remember where I was. That was the first time it happened. And since then, it hasn't happened. But you know, the body, the body gets beaten up. It's not so much the work, it's the body. So when you're going to the Olympics, how far in advance do you have to go to make sure everything is set up? Well, in the Olympics, the Olympics, the IOC session, the, mm -hmm. you know, plenary session where they do votes, everything, you know, they sports are in, sports are out. It's like really the big, big, big meeting. They have that one week prior to the opening ceremony. So he, my boss, has to be there one week prior. I have to be there two days before him because he says, Grace, by the time I get there, you know the drill, right? You'll have my tickets to all the games. You'll have my invitations to all the dinners. Yes, don't even worry about it. And of course, after 20 years, it's a big, big difference because the, the, the people in logistics in the IOC know me. The people in guest services know me. So I can just very diplomatically say, oh, Mariana, how have you been? How have your kids? My God, you're going to kill me. But Mr. Vasquez wants an extra ticket for basketball. Could that be, you know, could that be possible? No problem, I'm paying, but I really need it to be VIP. Things like that where you go, 
in the beginning, nobody knew me. There was no such thing as garnering favors. Like, you help me and then I'll help you. They, nobody knew me. But now, thank goodness, you know, you, you can at least go in and smile and bring a gift and hope for the best. So people do ask me, why are you going for three weeks if you're only going for the shoot? You're not staying for the whole Olympics. So, yeah, but meetings, meetings, I have to be there early and my boss have to be there early, which is not a big deal. Like, for example, London, it's gorgeous right? They were very well organized. Beijing, wonderful organization. Brazil, oh my God. I love Brazilians. They're so friendly. Their joy just comes out of their pores. They're always singing, dancing. They're the most beautiful people in the world. But what a mess. So that was a little stressful. Okay, a mess how? Like, you'll get in and you'll go, hey, listen, I was looking for the, they told me to come to you, this desk, for my sticker, because I, otherwise I can't get into the session. So I need the sticker that means infinite. Who sent you? Mariana from, everybody knows Mariana. She's like the right hand and left hand of uh, Dr. Bach. And prior to that, President Rogue. I don't know. Let me see. Let me find out. So you go from desk to desk to desk, phone call to phone call to phone call. It's Latin America. That's the way we are. Or at least half of me is that way. So you, you go, oh, man, I'm back in Mexico again. So everything is harder. Everything is a bit more of a mess. Like, we're, you guys, what time is the Olympic bus leaving? So it was supposed to be leaving now, but we don't know why it hasn't left. And you've got a schedule, you know? But it's Brazil. So you know what you're getting into. What are those meetings like, those IOC oh, session meetings? Well, first of all, when you look at the schedule, and they've never changed, it says IOC session 9 to 11, 11, coffee break 15 minutes, 11 to 1, 1 o'clock lunch, one hour, two to six. So it's from nine o'clock till six in the afternoon. And since I am not an IOC member, but my boss is very respected. He's very good friends with the presidents and everything. So I get a sticker that allows me, as if I were media, I can stay way at the back, you know, where the translation booths are and the media is. And I can just sit there because if my boss set, will text me and I suddenly receive a little text that says, Grace, can you come over here for a minute? And they, they don't set alphabetical order, but in the order in which they became members. So I have to like calculate my boss is kind of in the middle and then you kind of duck down so you're not bothering anybody. And um, you find out what he wants. He forgot his glasses. I don't know, run back to the hotel. So basically, I'm in the back in case he needs me. But meanwhile, you can pay attention to the meeting and find out what's going on. They give reports of the prior games, what was good, what was bad, what needs to be improved. They give reports of the next games, what's good and what's bad about what's going on in Tokyo, right? And then they give reports about the, the relationship between the IOC and humanitarian efforts in the UN. That's a different report. So basically, it's just reports, reports, reports. Some of them more interesting than others. 
Then they talk about finance, and then I go, okay, I'll be back. I'm going to the ladies' room. <laughs> I'm neither going to understand it nor care. I'll be back. Because, <laughs> you know, when they start going about, we have new partners. I was going to say Samsung. Samsung has been for, with them forever. But let's say Samsung is one of our new sponsors and Coke or whatever. And then they talk, they do have to disclose the contract, how much it's for, because the members are very much in it. I mean, when votes are taken, the members are not just representing their, their country. They're representing their sport. So you do actually get down to them arguing about how they think it's unfair that, you know, such and such a sport that's grown so much and our revenue's still the same and then they start fighting. So you can leave, come back. You won't miss anything. I'll read about it in the news. Are you looking forward to Tokyo? Oh, my God. That's always been my dream. And I always said, why don't we have to do Brazil right now? Let's give them a chance to organize their stuff. And let's do Tokyo first. Because that's been my dream. So I'm very excited. And, of course, we're all imagining what it's going to be like to compare it to Brazil, which is going to be very unfair. Because Brazil is not a developed country. And the fact that they pulled it off and pulled it off very well says a lot about the people. But now we're saying, this is Japan. Japan is a land of honor. They're not going to, you know, fool around. They're going to do things and they're going to do things right. So everybody's pretty excited about it. Yeah. So I want to hear more about the arguments. Oh, my God. I have seen things that where you go, and they do come out, they're not secret, 24 hours later, they're in the news. But I have seen two IOC members almost go to fist fight. And I'm thinking, what are they, what is going on? And the whole thing was that they were talking about how they said, listen, I think that we're handling things incorrectly. Just because my sport doesn't bring in as many tickets, but we are the number one sport in Asia. And everybody goes, yeah, but we, ratings are one thing, ticket sales are another, spectators are another. Oh, at the end of, an, of uh, games, about three months later, you get a report this thick that says how many tickets your sport sold how many people watched it on TV? How many people clicked through the internet IOC channel? How many people repeated something about shooting in the um, social media? They have it down to a T. So these two guys start fighting, and one of them is saying that it's not about money, it's about how many people practice it in the world, and then the other guy's saying, yeah, but the majority of the people who practice it in the world are Chinese, so that doesn't count because of the numbers of Chinese that there are in the country. Oh my goodness, there came a point where my boss and I were just going like this, and my boss started smiling, and that's when I knew something bad was going to happen. Fortunately, the president prevailed, and he said, gentlemen, gentlemen, please, the media is present. Let's sit down, compose ourselves, and talk about it, and then we have our director finance here and our legal director and they will explain to you how this um, because this is something that goes back to the sports are divided in categories A to D 
A is something like gymnastics, swimming, athletics. These are the sports that bring in money, sponsors, they sell tickets, they put people in seats, and everybody watches the TV for these sports. So according to the way you, because it ebbs and flows, right? Your sport can get better or it can get worse. And that's why wrestling was eliminated because even though they're a classic, they still got the ax. And that was because it has a lot to do with, yes, I know you're a wonderful sport. Yes, I know you're a classic. You're not selling tickets. Your stadium or your venue is empty and we can't afford that. You know, we, this is an expensive thing. So the category they put you in will determine two things. How much Olympic revenue you get in order to develop your sport for the next four years and how much you get in assistance for, for example, Olympic solidarity. Olympic solidarity is something that helps every single sport by giving them money to develop countries that, that are willing and able to practice the sport but don't have the infrastructure. They don't have, you know, for, in our cases, they don't have shooting ranges. They don't have enough coaches. So Olympic solidarity helps the poorer, less developed countries. So these categories, you can go down or you can go up every four years. And these two guys, they went at it. And people had to sit down and explain to them, like they're new. They had to explain to them why they were so, you know, so different. Their categories were so different. They know it, to be fair. I think it's just the anger of this isn't changing. And when is my turn, right? Something like that. But it gets interesting. My boss, after the meeting, his wife was waiting downstairs to let him know she was going shopping or something. And she goes, how's the meeting going? And he goes, it was really good. <laughs> Livens up the proceedings. Oh, my God. It got so good. Yeah, that's the Olympic world. Because, of course, the people who represent each country are humans. And human beings get angry and human beings get frustrated and they go off. So, yeah. Those meetings are long. Sometimes, most of the time, they're not that exciting. And sometimes you have to be super alert because it may not come. The, the, my boss gets a big old file. They're trying to save paper now, so they give you a, a USB file. But my boss is 83. He's not going to be looking at a USB file. So I print it out for him so he can follow it. He'll, he'll mark something and he'll say, I'm going to ask you about this later, Grace, because I didn't understand what they said there. So I'm going, oh, my goodness, I better start taking notes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, in time, you realize that you do have to pay attention. So you have been through Jacques Roga and Thomas Bach. So right. You... When I first came in, um, it was still Samaranch. Oh, okay. So yeah, you it all was three. still Samaranch. So talk about the difference between the three. <sighs> My God, when I met Samaran, she was quite elderly, very strong, still very imposing, you know, quite a, quite a figure. But when Jacques Rogue won, it was like, this man is an athlete. He's not doing it for the fame or the money or to try and get into some other career, political career later. No, this man loves it. And you would watch him during the shooting competitions 
And he was actually following the scores and looking at everything, not being a shooter. You know, he was all about rugby, sailing. So he was really passionate about sports, not only an administrator. And as a gentleman, I mean, he and his wife are just the kind of people that, that are very elegant, but very, very kind. They always remember your name, even, even if you're just the secretary. They know your name. They kiss you hello. They kiss you goodbye. It's like working with a true gentleman and a man so smart. Um, my boss had him over at his house in Acapulco for a weekend because they were on their way to the United States for meetings. And he said, well, come, come on over. At least you can rest for three, four days. And they were there. And you see how a person's mind works when he's asking, he says, and what is the income per capita here in Mexico? Mm-hmm. And what is the minimum wage? I see. And what is the problem here? What is your biggest problem crime-wise? His mind is going a million percent. So you understand, you know, someone's intelligence, someone's passion, just for anything that's interesting. And then he came to my boss's owner of a chain of private hospitals in Mexico, and he came to the flagship hospital, and he was like a little boy. He would look at the, you know, the new MRI machine. He would say, oh, Oligario, you have so many toys. And he was really excited because he actually is a physician. I mean, he's different. Dr. Bach is quite polite. He, he's always been n nothing if not polite and, and diplomatic. But he has a political agenda. You know, he, he, this is just a stop on his way somewhere else. So you can tell. You can tell when someone is passionate about sport and when somebody's passionate about career, right? Very interesting, because I wonder uh, if uh, Dr. Bach will run again because his term is almost up. You know what? I mean, he's got his agenda 2020. It's been very strong. It's supported by, I think, the majority of the members. He hasn't said anything, but when he came to Mexico about four months ago, he came to Mexico because Mexico had its 50th anniversary since the games, since the Mexico oh, right, right. 68 games. Right. So we were going to put up a plaque, blah, blah, blah. And he came on his way over to uh, some meetings. And I was in the cabin for the press conference. And uh, some people were not pulling punches and they grazed their hand. And... Mr. President, would you say that your presidency will be remembered as the presidency of the Russian corruption scandal? Oh, my God. I said, why do they get, put me in the cabin for this? Oh, he had my voice in, a, in an ear thing. And I was thinking, like, and Mr. Pre I was trying to soften it. But there's no way to soften it, really. Yeah, so what he, what do you do in that situation when you're facing? I had to say no. what they said because on, on top of it, it has to be fast because the kid, the young man, the journalist kept speaking. So he said, listen, he said, I would hope that they will remember many other things. For example, the fact that we now have a team for refugees and that they can if they don't have enough money, we can, you know, help them 
move along so that if they qualify for the games, they can participate under the Olympic flag. He said, we've also helped a lot of countries who have very low income and cannot develop their sport. And I think that we have fought against corruption. And blah, blah, blah. He got a little miffed. He did get a little miffed. But I thought, well, I mean, there's no way to clean this up. So I think that the problem would be that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, he got his 2020 program. And it is, in general, a very good program. But he's also in the middle of boxing scandal, Russian scandal, which keeps going because they keep finding the athletes. I mean, is this is endless. I don't know. I don't know. It, it may not be as easy for him to win as he thinks. So when you're facing that time, when you know what you're about to say is going to cause insult. First of all, you get a rush of adrenaline that you feel back here. And then you either you can either change it or not. In this case, there's no way you can soften a question like corruption. What am I supposed to say? You know, shenanigans? You can't. You can't. You got to say corruption, right? But there are other times where, yes, especially when my boss is angry, and I know this is going to affect the outcome of a meeting. People can tell he's angry from his face. So now I'm going to try and his words make them the same, but a little less. But he knows me. So sometimes he'll actually say, Grace, you have to interpret exactly what I'm going to say right now. Okay? So that means he wants the swearing and everything. It's interesting, though, you know, just because of his longevity in the Olympic movement, it probably garners him a lot of respect or knowledge. Like, who, like there's got to be some ranking of people and yes. presidents, federation presidents. Is it kind of yes. also kind of like that ABCD? Absolutely. Sport? There's a social, there are casts within the cast. And of course, when somebody like when you say, oh, my God, you say to someone in the IOC, the ones who do the hotel and everything, you go, oh, guess what? Mr. Vasquez got a tiny little room. There's not even enough space for all his wife's clothes, you know, because they're wealthy people. No, don't worry about it, Grace. For Mr. For Mr. Vasquez, anything. Don't even worry about it. But of course, it took him, you know, 38 years to get to that point. So he's earned it. He's earned it, but yeah. Yeah, there are people who are new that are not very well known, and yeah, they don't get the perks. So this is very old school diplomacy of you know, the longevity and correct. People people see him and they'll come up and oh Mr. Vasquez. I mean, you're not gonna gain anything. You're not he's not your boss. He's not going to affect your future, but it's just this respect because of he's been there forever. So, Mr. Vasquez, how lovely to see you. And and he loves that. He loves the attention. So if somebody wanted to get into your line of work, what would you recommend? The first thing that I would do is definitely languages and definitely executive administrative assistant. Know that kind of thing where you've got to handle the office back home, the office you've got on your phone or your iPad, and handle the person you're with. If you can do a little bit of, um, somebody once told me, oh, you know what I just saw? I said, I said what? The, we- the devil wears Prada, and it reminded me of you. And I looked at my clothes, and I said, how so? And he said, no, no, because that girl, she's treated exactly like you. I said, oh, 
it is true. I said, if you can do that sort of thing, but at a level where you go, okay, let me start national level. If I can get in my foot in to the National Olympic Committee, even as a volunteer, do it. Because what you're going to learn, no university is going to teach. You might have to work for free for a year. But guess what? You're in. If you're into your National Olympic Committee, you might soon be in with the president of the Olympic Committee. And then that's where the travel starts. And you can start making a network of friends and a network of, you know, knowing the other federation presidents and the other IOC members. And there's always a possibility that somebody will say, hey, I like this person. You know, if, if you ever, and you always exchange cards. So there's, there, there are possibilities, but I think you do have to be realistic. Start from the bottom. Don't expect to get paid and get in as soon as you can to your national, wherever, what your nationality is, your National Olympic Committee. Allison, you got anything else? I do, because yeah. if you've been to the IOC meetings, have you met King Willem Alexander from the Netherlands? Yes, he's is behind he... because he always says hello to my boss and then hello to me and I'm behind. Is he fabulous? He's fabulous, he's elegant. He's very, you know, he doesn't go crazy with the, you know who's a little crazier? The Prince of Monaco. I saw him eating tacos one day. He's like, cool. But then the king is like, you know, also from Sweden. The king of Sweden is also very, you know, very staid, very sober. He smiles. He's polite and shakes everyone's hand. But he's not out there. Woohoo! I'm a big fan of Willem Alexander and Maxima. Are you? I am. They are very polite. They're very well-bred. And they would never just, like, for example, ignore a secretary. No, never. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not rude like that. Sometimes the rude people are the people who have absolutely... It's like, who are you to be rude to me? You're a nobody. You're a lawyer. And then people who are actually, you know royalty or very near royalty. Those are the, be like the nicest people. It's very surprising who's going to be nice to you. You never expect it. I'm good now. Yeah. Okay, good. good, good. <laughs> now that I know he's nice too. <laughs> so many adventures. It's, it sounds, I mean, to us, it sounds exciting. It also sounds very exhausting. It is. It is exciting it's and it is exhausting. But what a crazy world. It's amazing. I know. Grace, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure, <laughs> ladies. I really enjoyed it. You make my morning a lot brighter. Thank you so much, Grace. Grace is now sharing her travel adventures at her blog, which is ghv-translation-editing.com slash blog. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, but if you sign up for her newsletter, you will get bonus content, which is really interesting. She has had some crazy adventures and they're really fun to follow along you can also follow her on twitter and insta at grace olympic and we will have links to those and on facebook she is ghv translation and editorial services this was so much fun oh my gosh it was awesome can you just imagine like this the whole cadre of executive assistants i know we need one of those people we do. I don't necessarily need them to follow. Well, maybe it would be nice to have them follow along. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, because Grace is talking about, oh, when her boss says, oh, I forgot my glasses. Oh, I did that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
man, that's what I need. I mean, basically mine would be like, can you go to the store and get me some rye bread? (laughs) But still to have that available to you. Oh, man. We'd like to give a special shout out to our Patreon patrons. And I know that it's already April, but your benefits will be coming this week. And if you'd like to join the club, find us at patreon.com slash Fever. Moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu. Team USA has monthly Best of Awards, and Claire Egan was nominated for the Best of March. Fans are invited to vote for their favorite athletes and teams at teamusa.org slash awards through midnight Monday, April 8th. Saying we encourage you to go vote for Claire is an understatement. Because she's got some tough challenges. We will be jumping up and down. Yeah, right. That's an understatement because she's got some tough competition this week. Michaela Schifrin is also nominated. So go vote for Claire. Michaela Schifrin has Barella pasta on her side. Yeah, right. Claire needs us. Moving on to our Tokyo 2020 news. They have announced the video games that will be developed for the Olympic Games. Sega is developing uh, the range of games. They will include Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. So very seriously. Oh come on, those are fun. I think next you're going to be cheering for e games. No, not cheering for e games. I cheer for me to be playing the games the official video game will be available on playstation 4 nintendo switch xbox one and pc and look for those next year moving on uh, they have also released the mascot pictograms so it's pictures of the mascots playing each sport they've done that for the olympics and the paralympics oh i didn't see the paralympic ones i only saw the olympic ones. yeah the olympic the paralympic ones came out a little bit maybe later in the day okay but it's funny, sometimes uh, Miratawai looks happy doing the sport. Sometimes they look intense. Sometimes they look really sad, <laughs> like the weightlifting yeah, rock one. rock climbing, because he... he's turning, looking over his shoulder like, please save me from this rock wall. <laughs> and weightlifting, he's struggling to put up the barbell. Looks like this is hard. And a couple times he looks really mad. I didn't understand the anger in canoeing. You'd think you would be happy being out on the water, you know, man against the elements. But no, he looks, maybe he doesn't like getting wet. I don't know. Uh, Moving on to uh, some more Team USA news. They have announced the new season of the next Olympic hopeful, and they will be looking for Olympic hopefuls in six sports, bobsled, cycling, rowing, rugby, skeleton, and weightlifting this season. So it's season three. Very exciting. Nice that it's coming back. Presented by Milk Life. Exactly. And you know, Team Canada is doing something similar, but it's not a reality show. They have a big road show going all over Canada looking for Olympic hopefuls. It's called RBC Training Ground, and it's a talent identification and athlete funding program. So uh, they've got tests going all over the country, and the top 100 from each region will be invited to attend. And hopefully they can find some more new talent to develop in uh, Canada. Canada is a very large and sprawly country. Imagine if they did that in like Andorra. It would take them about 15 minutes. <laughs> or Luxembourg. Yeah, right. Be like, oh, we're going to have a... And now it's over. 
Don't forget that one of the easiest ways to support the show is by shopping on Amazon through our website at olimfever.com and you could buy our latest book club selection there called The Second Mark, which is about the judging scandal of the 2002 Olympic Games and how that changed how figure skating was scored. To get that book or, you know, anything from Amazon, go to olimfever.com first and click on the Amazon banner. We will get a little commission from your purchases and that really helps us put together some Olympic fever things as we get closer to Tokyo 2020. Thank you so much for your support. Other Olympic news, Jan Dydek, who won a bronze medal in boxing at the 1988 Olympics, has died. The Polish fighter was 50 years old. Just another, just last week we had another 50-year-old Olympian pass away. So that's really sad. Yeah. On that note, we'll wrap it up for this week. We'll catch Probably you back. a good idea. <laughs> we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Just chill. Don't be so stressed. You'll get it. <laughs>